I do want to say a good morning if you are joining us for the very first time. My name is Adam. I just jumped in there without introducing myself, so I apologize for that. My name is Adam, and whether you're here at the Stafford campus, whether you are joining us in Fredericksburg, or whether you happen to be online with us, we are so glad you are here. We are in a series titled Legendary. And over the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing is looking at these legendary figures from Scripture. These people who have these incredible stories and did amazing things for the kingdom of God. And we've been looking at them saying the thing, the common thread behind every one of their legendary stories is not that they were legendary. In fact, what we see most of the time is the exact opposite. They were people who had failure after failure, but because of their dependence, because of their relationship with God and their ability to lean into him when he asked them to do something, they did something legendary. And so that is our prayer throughout this series is that we at the Mount would be the type of people who even though we may feel ordinary, or maybe you feel legendary, maybe you feel like a nobody, whatever it is, but that God and his spirit, as you lean into him, you would find yourself looking back one day doing incredible things for the kingdom of God. And so this morning, as we get to know each other, maybe you're here for the first time, I do have a confession to make this morning. When I was 10 years old, so 1993 or 94, there was a toy that I had to have. This toy, I was certain, would revolutionize my life. And I just, a show of hands, anyone here remember the talk boy from Home Alone 2? A couple people. So the talk boy, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, the talk boy was this device that was about, I don't know, so and so size, and it had this microphone on it, and on the front you would push the eject button, and the tape deck would open, and you'd put a tape in there. Now, under 30, I lost you already, right? So a tape was basically this old-time thing for a CD. Under 25, a CD was basically Spotify that you bought and carried with you. So in essence, the talk boy was basically like putting a blank Spotify in your thing. And it, but you could only record like five seconds, not a whole, you know, unlimited thing. And so the tape, then you would load it in and you would push the record button and you could talk into it. And then what you could do is this feature on there, you could speed it up, slow it down, change the pitch, tone, whatever. And so you could make your voice sound like someone else. Now, I know as I describe this, I'm not selling you on it. So to help you get and to grasp how incredible the talk boy was, take a look at this video. Yes! Now you can be as clever as Kevin with Tiger's new talk boy tape recorder. Hey, stop drooling on me. Hey, stop drooling on me. It even has speed control. Hi, kids, we're home early. Hi, kids. Romerly. Tiger's new Talkboy tape recorder comes with audio cassette. Battery's not included. So let, let's ignore the creepy, hi, kids. We're home early. But you can see the benefit of having a Talkboy. You could, I could prank my older sister. I could do all kinds of things to my parents. I could, I could literally record whatever I want and then just dial random numbers and prank call people and have them say whatever I want. I could have so much fun with this. And so I remember when this commercial came out after I had saw Home Alone 2 and I knew, man, I, I thought, I, I have to have this thing. No, I, I didn't think. I, I knew, I believed with everything in me, my life is missing this talk boy. If I had this talk boy deluxe, not the right, the deluxe, my life would be different. It was the thing that was missing from my life. And you know what's funny? Here I am 30 years later, and if I'm being honest and confessing something else, there are still moments in my life 
where I would say, if I just had blank, man, my life would be so much better. There are still these moments where it feels like there's just something missing. And if I could just, deep down in my soul, if I could just achieve it or obtain it or succeed with it or, or whatever it happens to be, if I could just get that thing or get through that thing or get around or whatever it happens to be, if I could just, oh man, then I would finally be happy and satisfied and complete and whole. I just wonder about you this morning. What's missing in your life? Like what's the thing that when you think about it, If blank would happen, man, my life would be complete. I remember when I finally got the talk boy. I remember opening it up on Christmas and being so excited and then spending an hour trying to find nine volt batteries because parents don't ever buy the batteries to go with the things. And so finally when I found it and I remember turning this thing on, being so excited, this thing that it was missing in my life, I now found, you know, I loaded the tape in, I began to record and... This thing was trash, you guys. Like it, it was horrible. Like, like you would press record and it, it sounded like your voice was underwater in another universe. Like it just wasn't clear or you'd push play and you're like, I talked clearly. Why is it all scratchy and weird now? You know, just like, just the technology was not that good. And I remember seeing this thing and I, it was everything I ever wanted, everything I, had, I just needed to have it. And then finally I got it and it just felt meaningless. I think I ended up either giving it away or smashing it or taking it apart to see if I could use the parts for other things, but it ended up being worthless. I'd be willing to bet I'm not alone in thinking things happen like that. There's X that you want, there's Y that you want, and you get it, and you just think, man, if I can just get this, my life will be more complete. And then you get it, and it still feels like something's missing. And so what do we do? We begin this cycle, right? Well, I got, I obtained, I achieved, I succeeded, I got X, and man, it just, I don't know, it wasn't enough. So let me, let me get something else, or let me try something else. And what we find is our life becomes this cycle of pursuing one thing after another, ultimately to find that even that thing isn't satisfying or fulfilling. It's as if we're chasing after the wind. There's this word in the Old Testament that we see in scripture. It's the word sometimes translated for peace. It's the word shalom. Shalom was this Jewish idea, this Old Testament idea of a peace that was so overwhelming, so complete, so grand. In fact, most scholars would say that shalom refers to wholeness, completeness, or the state of being full of peace. It carries with it this idea that everything in your life is whole and complete. There's no missing pieces. There's nothing lacking. Everything is there. It's when the, the human soul is in this state of perfection and when it, the, 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 the word communicates the idea that the human heart, the soul, is at peace with God, at peace with others, at peace with itself, and at peace with all of its external circumstances. And this, this shalom, this idea of this whole, complete, full peace was something that the Jewish people all the way up to the time of Jesus longed for. They desperately sought after. They wanted it. Why? Because for them and for us as human beings, shalom, perfect, complete, whole peace has only existed at one point in the physical universe, at creation in the Garden of Eden. Maybe you're familiar with the story. 
God in the beginning begins to create everything. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that on day one, he creates something and says it's good. Day two, he creates something and says it's good. And he goes through these until he gets to day six and he creates humans. He creates Adam and Eve, the first two people. And he puts them in the garden. And when he finishes them, when, when they are made and all the other days of creation are made, he surveys creation and the next day he rests. Why? Because he's done. It's complete. It's perfect. It's whole. Nothing else needs to be added to it. It is shalom. And we see this in Adam and Eve's beginning. Adam and Eve are walking around in the garden. They're talking to God. They're communicating with him, communing with him. They're petting the animals, naming them, doing all of these different things. The scripture tells us that they were so at peace, so much shalom and wholeness and completeness that they're walking around naked and they feel no shame. It is a state of perfection. But if you are familiar with scripture, you know what happens in Genesis chapter three. Fast forward, listen to this, uh, verses one through six. Now the serpent or devil or Satan or the enemy, whatever word you wanna use there, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Right, like God, God told them, hey, you can do whatever you want. This is a big sandbox for you. It's perfect, it's complete, it's whole. But there's one tree, that one tree, that one thing is the only stipulation I have. You must not eat from it. And so the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Listen to verse four. You will, certain, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate as well. So don't, don't miss this. Uh, in, in the state of perfection, wholeness, completeness, shalom, where God says everything is done, everything is perfect, everything is good, there is complete peace. The lie that the enemy whispers to Eve is not this grand lie. He comes to her and says, hey, something's missing. You know what? That tree in the middle, if you ate from it, you would gain something new. What, what, something's missing, you're not complete, you're not whole, you're not perfect. And so we see where Eve goes and grabs the fruit and her and Adam eat it, and the moment they eat this fruit, peace becomes missing in the garden. What was a state of shalom and perfection and wholeness and completeness is now broken and fractured. What was perfect now because of their disobedience and their rebellion, peace is broken verse vertically and horizontally. Let me just point this out to you. Verses seven and 10 continues. And the eyes of both of them were opened. So the moment the, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he, walked, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So what was once peaceful and shalom and complete is now broken and we see Adam and Eve immediately begin to kind of realize, oh, we're naked and we're shameful and they cover up and then they go and hide from God in the garden. What was once this perfect relationship vertically is now full of fear and shame and regret and doubt and they hide because of it. 
We, we refer to this, theologians refer to this as the fall. It's where man's relationship with God was broken and mankind fell and became sinful people. And part of the consequence behind this was physical and spiritual death because peace was broken. And horizontally in verse 16 and 19, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And all the women said, amen. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, where I said, you must not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you will return. So vertically, their relationship with God, the peace they had was broken. And then horizontally, the relationship they have with each other, there's now contentment, or discontentment and it's broken. The relationship they might have with any future human beings is now broken. The relationship they have with their work, with the toil, their labor is broken. The relationship even with their physical bodies around childbirth and stuff is broken. Their relationship with creation is broken. In other words, what was once this perfect, complete, whole, shalom place where everything was peaceful. God now cast them out of the garden and he cast them, don't miss this, inherently into a world that is missing something from the way God intended it. The world they enter is not the world God intended for them to enter. They enter into a place where something is missing. Peace. They enter into a place and they, they feel it. And what's funny is it went missing in the garden and they are cast out of the garden to this place where it's missing and it's as if peace has been missing ever since. Every single human being lives in the shadow of this moment of disobedience. Ever since that day throughout all of history, every human being that has ever lived has been searching for or longing for a return back to that perfect shalom that was in the garden the way Adam and Eve were created to experience life. You see, don't miss this. They were created one way and then they stepped foot out of the garden and from that very day, their heart, all it longs for was a return back to the garden. And for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, deep within our hearts as human beings is a return, a longing, a searching, a pulling back to the perfect wholeness, complete peace that existed. This is why for so many of us, life can be really, really good and it still feels like something is missing. Right, like we can, our family can be going great, careers skyrocketing, the bank accounts overflowing, and we're just, everything we touch turns into amazing things. We're leading people to Jesus all the time and all kinds of stuff are happening. But when we lay our heads down on our pillow at night, we still feel something's missing. This is why when things are going well, those of you that are worriers, you can be like, man, things are going really great. That means something bad is about to happen. We feel it we know that something's missing. And I think for so many of us, in fact, I would argue for almost all of us, so much of our lives is nothing more than a relentless pursuit of peace, 
a relentless pursuit of what God created in the garden. And there's this guy by the name of King Solomon who in the Old Testament is an incredible example and picture of this. If you have your Bibles with you today, go ahead and open to the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, It'll take you a while to find it unless you use the table of contents. Uh, I recommend that. If you uh, use YouVersion or a Bible app, it's so much easier, obviously. If you wanna download the Mount app, the scripture references and notes are right there is with you. You also have the added benefit of knowing about everything that's happening at your campus and all the events and all those different things. So I would encourage you to do that. But we will be in Ecclesiastes. I'll give you some hint. It is in the Old Testament, if that helps you. But that's about all. I can help you with. Uh, I was going to tell you what book, my Bible is page 472. I don't know if that helps at all, but there you go. So, so just, so we're all on the same page as you're turning there. Just some backstory. Solomon, the guy we're going to look at today, Solomon was the third king of Israel. Solomon was born the son of David and Bathsheba, if that story rings a bell for you. And so Solomon was born, and kind of the moment he was born, he was born into this royalty as a family, right? His, his father was King David of the nation of Israel. He was the king's son. Not only that, but David had multiple sons, but Solomon was to be the heir. He was to be the next king. He was to be the guy that succeeded David when David got old or when David died or however it happened at the time, right? And so Solomon would be in charge. And so from the very beginning of his life, as you can imagine, as the son of a king and the future heir to the entire kingdom, Solomon had anything and everything he could ever want. We have to imagine that if Solomon asked for a toy, somebody in the kingdom gave it to him. Even if his parents didn't want him to have it, somebody in the house probably said, I'll get one for you, Solomon, don't worry. He had everything you could ever want or imagine. And what's funny is Solomon, even though he had everything, he was still this guy that God kind of gave a special blessing to. For some reason, and we don't know exactly why, but God kind of saw Solomon and kind of deposited some some real power into his life. There's this moment where Solomon basically asked the Lord for wisdom. He could have asked for anything. He could have said, man, I want to be the, the wealthiest guy around. I want to be the guy who has the most fame, the most glory, the most whatever. But instead, he says, he says, God, I want to be the wisest man who has ever lived on the face of the earth. And God, we don't know why, but God grants him that wish. God God grants him that prayer. And not only that, does he say, I'll make you the wisest person on earth, but because you didn't selfishly ask for some of these worldly things, I will in turn also give you those worldly things as a display of my faithfulness into your life. And so here's what's interesting. As Solomon gets older and older, just like most people as they move out of teenage years into adulthood and older and older, Solomon begins to look around his life and realize, man, I am blessed beyond measure. I have more than I could ever dream or imagine. But yet, for Solomon, something was still missing. And what you see in the story of Solomon, the the legendary story of Solomon, is this guy who outwardly is on this this visible upward trajectory of success and climbing, but internally is in turmoil and distress. You see a guy who's desperately searching for what's missing. And so, so what Solomon does as the most powerful person on earth is Solomon goes on this kind of 40 year journey 
where Solomon says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do everything I can to find out what is missing in my life. Why am I not satisfied? Why am I lacking something? Why does my life feel incomplete? And it begins this 40-year journey of searching for the missing thing. And what you see is you see in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is kind of like his journal, during this 40-year journey, you see him where it's sort of like he goes on this kind of taste test in life, if that makes sense. He kind of goes from one thing to another, drinking it, hoping that what he's drinking, what he's intaking, will kind of quench his thirst and bring him completeness and wholeness and fulfillment. And let me just show you from his journal in chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. He says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So Solomon says, listen, like, you know what? Like, something in my life feels missing, and so what he says he's gonna do is he says, I'm gonna dedicate my mind to, I'm gonna get all the knowledge I can get. I'm gonna use wisdom to get knowledge. And so he says, I pursue knowledge, and not enriching my mind, I'm drinking it down. And what we see in Solomon, if there's an equivalent to it, Solomon basically gets a PhD in biology, a PhD in music theory, and he ends up writing about a thousand songs. He becomes this guy who has incredible wealth of knowledge. He's just drinking the cup, drinking everything he can, learning everything he can about every subject and every topic, becoming knowledgeable and wise. People, he becomes so knowledgeable and wise that people are sending camels from all over the known world just to bring him gifts in the hope that he will share his knowledge and wisdom with them. People come to his country, come to his palace, requesting an audience just to hear him speak. He would fill up thousands of stadiums if he was a consultant these days. He was so wise and so knowledgeable just downing that cup. And he says, you know what? After I drank it all, it was meaningless. I was still just as thirsty as I was before I started drinking it. So then he continues chapter two, verse one and seven. But I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. He says, fine, like knowledge wasn't enough for me, so what I'm gonna do is I'm I'm gonna seek pleasure. What are the things that are fun? Like, what are the things that bring me joy? What are the things that bring me satisfaction? What are the things that feel good? And I'm just gonna chase those in life. I'm gonna drink those up. I'm constantly going to consume those things over and over and over again. And he says, man, after I drank from that cup, I was still just as thirsty. It felt meaningless. Verse two, he says, laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? So I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly for my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So Solomon, I love this. He says, listen, I I tried knowledge. I tried pleasure. None of those seem to bring me the the, the peace, the wholeness, the the completeness that I'm missing. So he says, fine, you know what? I'm gonna try wine and I'm gonna try folly. Folly is just another word for like foolish behavior. So here you have the wisest guy in the world saying, I'm so unsatisfied that I'm going to use my wisdom to pursue foolish behavior. He said, I'm gonna basically act like a fool and hopefully that'll complete me. And he says, man, I did everything you could imagine drinking wine and pursuing foolishness, but yet still I was thirsty. Verse four, he says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. So he says, listen, okay, like I tried all these other things. Maybe if I just build a big real estate portfolio, 
Maybe if I just build some palaces, some homes, maybe if I plant some gardens, some aquariums, some parks, maybe if I kind of learn about agriculture and all these things and I use the knowledge I've gained to kind of bless people and people and put you know, my name on a building, it'll be Solomon's Dam, it'll be Solomon's Waterfall, whatever they wanna name it, and I'm gonna do all of these things and that finally will bring me satisfaction. I think you know what's gonna happen, right? He says, oh man, that wasn't enough. And so it continues, he says, verse seven, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone else in Jerusalem before me. In other words, and again, it's the language of the Old Testament. He says, basically, I amassed a bunch of property. Some of that property was animals. Some of it was people, which at their time was just what, what, what Solomon did. And he said, I amassed a bunch of property. And in essence, I wanted to have more of anything than anyone else. The scripture tells us it took him 13 years to build his palace. He was so wealthy that there has never been anyone in the history of the world come close to his amount of wealth if it was in modern day times. And he says, I, I had everything and it still felt meaningless and incomplete. Verse eight, he continues, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delight of a man's heart. Now a harem, just, just so we're on the same page, that basically means that Solomon had a lot of women in his life. Um, he had and just 300 girlfriends and 700 wives. Now, that means he had 700 mother-in-laws. <laughs> I just let that sit for a second, okay? I don't know why he chose to do this, <laughs> but he did. And so he had 300 girlfriends, 700 wives. In other words, he, he could snap a finger and he would have all the pleasure he wanted. And he said, it wasn't enough. I drank from that cup and I was still thirsty. He says, verse nine, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Verse 10, I love this one, man, it's so tragic. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon says, listen, I got to this point in my life where I just said, you know what, I'm not gonna deny myself anything. Whatever my heart and my eyes desire, I will get. And he says, even at the end of that, the cup left me thirsty. I didn't feel satisfied. I don't, I don't know about you, maybe this is just me, but I think there's a little bit of Solomon in all of us. Right, like I think there are these moments, there's this time in my life anyway, where my heart, and I don't think I'm alone, maybe it's better for me to say I think there are these times in our lives or our hearts where we think we are like Solomon. We can achieve, obtain, grasp, succeed, whatever it is, we can do something and it will get us to this place where we will feel peace. But like Solomon, we get there and we still feel incomplete. We still feel like something is lacking. Why? Why, why is it that we can devote so much energy and passion and purpose 
into something that surely, logically should bring us joy and peace and happiness and completeness. Why is it that it never works out? If you're taking notes, you might write this down because when peace is absent, searching for substitutes will never work. When peace is absent, searching for substitutes will never work. What do I mean by that? Maybe for you, and I don't know your story, maybe for you the cup that you drink out of daily is some sort of addiction. Like there's been a moment in your life where it's just rough and hard. And so you started something, I don't know what it is, and when you drink it, that cup just makes you feel better. A fleeting moment of completeness and fulfillment and satisfaction. But you know the next day or the next week or the next month, you're gonna feel like something's missing again. Maybe for you, it's your career. The cup you drink from is, you know what, you, you, you've told yourself, if I could just, if I could just get X title, if I could just get X rank, if I could just get X GS level salary, if I could just get this, if I could get that office, if I could get this many vacations, if I could get this, if my career could get just this place where I could be paid like a supervisor but not have to supervise, right, whatever it is, if I could just get to X, then finally everything in my life would fall into place and be great. And then most likely what happened is you got that title, you got that promotion, you got that office, and you sat down in it, and the very first time you said, huh, this was not what I thought it was. Maybe, and this one's gonna be sound silly to you. Maybe for you, the cup that you keep drinking from is just the next upcoming vacation. You say, man, like, life is hard. I just can't wait to go blank and be at peace. Then you go on the vacation, and you come back, and you're like, man, vacationing with kids is not a vacation. Now I need a vacation from the vacation. And you find yourself in this cycle where you feel like getting away and doing something is finally going to make you complete only to return and feel like something is still missing. Maybe for you, we're gonna get personal here. Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe you would say, Adam, yeah, something in my life was missing but if my bank account was X, I'd feel good. If my 401k or retirement account or whatever it was had this balance, I would feel much more whole and complete right now. If I had enough for the down payment for the next house, then it would be finally peaceful. What's funny is I feel like this cup and when I was younger, I definitely struggled with this cup, right? This, the, the bank account cup. I felt like every time I got to the number I thought would make me happy, the cup got bigger and bigger. And it was this never-ending pursuit of peace. Two more. Maybe for you, the cup you've been drinking from that will finally complete you centers around relationships. Maybe you're in a season of singleness. And you've said, you know what, if I... If I could just get married, man, then I would be whole and complete and at peace. Man, if, I, if, if my relationship with my in-laws was so much better. You don't have 700, so you're doing great, right? 
man, if me and my spouse were just, we're, we're, we're not communicating. We're on two different, not even just two different playing fields. We're in two different counties, two different cities. If we could just get more focused together, then finally everything else would fall in place and we would have peace and wholeness and completeness. Or maybe for you, it's just your kids. Maybe it's none of these. Maybe it's just, man, you know what? Like, I'll feel complete and satisfied and whole and at peace when my kids do X. When my kids get to blank. When this happens in their sports or their college or their career or they get out of my basement or whatever it happens to be, right? When this happens, I'll feel whole and complete. What is it for you? Like, what's the thing? Like, let's just be honest with each other. What's the thing that in the back of your mind, if it happened, if you obtained it, if you achieved it, life would fall into place? And I know what you're thinking, right? Like, you might be like, well, Adam, come on, man. Like, you're, you're just talking to, like, the people in the room who, are, who don't believe in Jesus because those of us that believe in Jesus, we know this is like a, a hook thing, and you're gonna be like, Jesus is the most important. And so, like, I understand Jesus is my peace. Jesus is my everything. And so, honestly, there's nothing in my life that would make me more complete because I have Jesus. All right, maybe you're really more spiritual than a lot of us. Here, here, here's what I think a lot of us do, those of us that profess to follow Jesus, I think if we're really, really honest, we don't, we don't want to vocalize this because this makes us not look very good. We, we would say happiness, peace, wholeness is Jesus plus something. We would say, yeah, yeah, like I believe in Jesus, but if I had Jesus and this, then I would be complete. Then I would be whole. Then my life would have shalom. What is it for you? What's Jesus plus what in your life? Because here's what I know, even as believers, even as people who profess to follow Jesus and spend our lives chasing after him, there are these moments where even those of us that are the most spiritual, you guys, you're the most spiritual people, there are still moments where even though you have the Holy Spirit living in you and you have the peace that passes all understanding and all comprehension, there are still moments because we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world where your heart yearns for the Garden of Eden, for shalom. And guess what? It is going to yearn for that missing thing until Jesus returns and builds a new Jerusalem and lives in the midst of it with all of us because we are stuck between two perfect, complete places trying to figure out how do we follow Jesus in the midst of a messy place. And that is okay. It is okay to admit that you love Jesus and your heart still wants other things to complete you. But here's my encouragement. Don't live there. Don't stay there. Like Solomon, don't, don't listen, listen. Solomon literally spends 40 years of his life chasing all of these things. And for every one of them, he said, man, it was meaningless. Does he mean literally they're meaningless? No, Solomon's not gonna stand here and say, your kids are meaningless. 
Your spouse is meaningless. Your bank account is meaningless. No, he doesn't mean they are meaningless. He means trying to find completeness and wholeness and joy and satisfaction and peace in those things is a meaningless pursuit that will never end. So rest. Solomon, I, I love this. And, and some of you, you are sitting here today and you have spent weeks or months or years pursuing things that you think will complete you and bring you satisfaction and wholeness. And I'm praying, praying desperately, not for you, but that God will tell you and show you that those things will always fall short and you need to stop pursuing them and just trust him. So what happens to Solomon? I, I love this. I wanna close with this. At the end of the book, after 40 years of searching, right? Like he spent 40 years of searching for, at the end of the book, look at Ecclesiastes 12, 13. It'll be on the screen. He says, that's the whole story. Like, that's my story. Like, that's 40 years of it right there. And he said, now here's my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments. For that is everyone's duty. The, the word fear God there means to be in awe of God and submit to his will. So Solomon's saying, listen, don't miss this. The smartest, wisest, richest guy who has ever lived on the history of the planet says you want to find happiness? You want to find the thing in your life that is missing? Turn to God and follow him. Will it be perfect? No. No. There's a story from the New Testament that I feel like illustrates this beautifully. Jesus is walking uh, from one place to another and he comes across this woman who is at a well in the middle of the day. Now, culturally, she was not supposed to be at the well in the middle of the day. It's just not what you did. You went in the evening or in the early in the morning when it was not hot. But also, uh, Jesus is not supposed to talk to her because she is a Samaritan. She is from the, the neighboring country of Israel that were not... Uh, I don't know, they weren't clean. They weren't the best people in their minds. Um, and so Jesus begins to have this conversation with her. And I want you to read this with me in John chapter four. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, all right, it's very confusing. You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, all of this can be good stuff. But if it's your pursuit where you find completeness and wholeness, you will always be thirsty. Find your completeness in Jesus and the rest can follow if he wants it to. A satisfied life a life full of meaning and purpose can only be found in the person and work of Jesus. Church, rest in that. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for stories like Solomon. 
For even in his, man, what seems like disobedience and confusion, you still show us the good news, the gospel of your love and your mercy and your grace. Jesus, I pray that myself and for many of us in this room, that we would be people who long for you as much as we long for the other things that we think will make us satisfied. God, at the end of the day, would we be people who will willingly fast from everything this world offers for more of your cup? Maybe you're here this morning and you're at one of our campuses or joining us online and you would say, man, Adam, if I'm being honest, much of my life, maybe all of my life has been about pursuing the things in those cups, the things that make me feel good, the pleasure, the success, the wealth. I'm literally a walking Solomon if that was my story. I may not have everything he had, but my life is pointed in the direction that his was. Can I just tell you, don't waste your life. Jesus said, I have come to give you an abundant life. And the abundant life, the life that Solomon talks about is found in living and following Jesus Christ. And this morning, it's not some rules you have to sign up for. All you have to do is surrender. You have to say, I I am not good enough to do this on my own. Jesus, I need you. Left to my own, it's all about me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, save me from myself. If you would like to make that decision today, a decision that would change the trajectory of your life, he doesn't just fix you, he makes you a new creation, a whole new person with all new wants and all new desires that point people to him and his kingdom. If you wanna make that decision today, just in the boldness of this moment right now, would you just, with everyone's eyes closed, would you just slip up your hand wherever you are at any of our campuses? Jesus, I surrender my life to you. If your hand is up, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner and I need your love. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Jesus, today I repent. I run to you. Be my King. And everyone said, amen.